You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, your joyologist, Trisha Huffman. Every week, I have a guest on of someone who inspires and intrigues me. We talk about our journeys, talk about the things that might have held them back, how they move through it, and how it's up to us to claim it all, to claim our joy, to claim our value, to claim our worth, to claim our dreams and how we do that. So sharing a lot of insights and some of the negative thoughts we moved through. On today's episode, we have a longtime friend of mine, Mona Tavacoli. She's a musician, part of a girl group called Raining Jane. They have been touring and recording with Jason Mraz for several years now, which is how I first met her. She's just a, such a vibrant person. She also, along with her another bandmate, launched and opened the LA Rock Camp for Girls, which is such an amazing thing. I just love her, love her energy, and wanted to get into her story because she's so, she's a drummer, but she's a percussionist, and it's just, it's always amazed me what she's able to do. So let's get right into the conversation. Enjoy. I love that these microphones are like we're on a, a 1970s football game <laughs> because they have a windscreen on them. Yeah, it's huge. Like yeah. we're on the field. Yeah. Which you know something about. I sure do. Because you're a mascot. <laughs> Is that how we're going to open the conversation? You took it there. I, well, listen, the mi- your microphones took it there. <laughs> was that in college? Yeah, I was the UCLA mascot. How did that happen? I was very spirited. <laughs> so number one. Number two, I was in the marching band. So I was already part of school spirit. Were you in the marching band at UCLA? I was, yeah. In the okay. marching band at UCLA, I played the cymbals. Wow. Underrated percussive element. How often do you hit the cymbals in the song? Listen, there was two cymbals, <laughs> one in each hand with a leather strap, and we were in charge of a splash of sound. And also, it was a very beautiful expressive moment where we'd like crash the cymbals and then maybe you do a flare. Yeah. So there's also choreography. So don't okay. be tripping. It was no, no, important. No, I'm just saying I was not <laughs> saying it was unimportant. Unimportant. It sounds like you have some hanging on to something. Yep. Totally. That. There's some stuff there. There's some stuff there because <laughs> what I was saying is like symbols aren't like some instruments are being played the whole song. Right, right, right. You in some songs might have only had those very special moments crashes yeah how many times just think about like the star spangled banner right dun, 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 yep. dun, dun. crash okay okay <laughs> then think about every song like anything let's talk about another song uh <laughs> <laughs> let's do that let's talk about what's the song they play at graduation i don't know i was about to say us <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. Is that what I say? Can you see, right? Um, it sounded the same as the first. No, no, I know. Yeah, it's Star Spangled Banner. Is say, oh my gosh, please cut this out. Let's start with a different topic. But I loved being the mascot. And so uh, you were in the marching band. You didn't need those things, didn't happen at the same time. No. Mascot. You can't be in the marching band and be the mascot at the same time. But I saw that I witnessed the mascots. Bringing okay. so much joy and school spirit. And then my friend 
was auditioning. She's like, I'm going to audition to be Josie Bruin. Do you want to audition with me? And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like so much fun. So then I, I had to put like a routine together. And in the routine, I did a drum solo. So I had to bring all my, my drum set to the audition. Like a drum kit? My drum kit. Okay. I brought it to the audition and I ripped a drum solo in like furry hands. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. my whole outfit was on and I finished my three minute routine with a ripping drum solo. And then I got to become the mascot That's for two years. pretty epic, uh, bringing your drum kit. <laughs> like, Dude, I go hard. You know me. Was your friend upset who invited you no, to audition? She was so sweet about it. She do was you think stoked. that she didn't even want to do it? She just knew that you were destined to do it? That's an interesting. <laughs> we should call her. Her name is Beth, and I love her. Beth, are you out there? <laughs> Beth, are you hearing this? Call me. My phone number is. Okay, but you got to see that because you were... You were in the band, marching band, and so you then be- got appreciation for the mascot. Totally, but I never thought like, oh, I'm going to be like a woman in a bear suit. You never would have thought of it if she didn't totally brought it to you. And naturally, my hair is bear-like, so I feel like I've been living <laughs> in a bear suit most of my life. Very hairy. Did you love being the mascot? How long were you the mascot? I loved it. I was Josie Brown for two years, and I, my best friend Veronica in college then came on my second year. So she auditioned the next year. And so then we got to be mascots together. Oh, there's like two girls and two boys. And then I ended up dating Joe Bruin. Oh my goodness. You were all up in that mascot world. (laughs) I was very involved. Thank you. Symbol crash. Symbol crash. (laughs) See? Symbols underrated. Gosh, this is perfect. (laughs) Okay. So then let's go back. You were in the marching band in college. So when did you start playing music? And was it always drums? Yeah. Or so percussive I started, instruments? Totally. So I started playing like snare drum and bass drum in our sixth grade band when I was 11. But before then... Is that again like a marching band or is that... No, it was like school band, like where we played... school didn't have any bands. I don't understand. Yeah. Dude, Mr. Tyler... Rest in peace. I loved him so much. He was teaching the junior high school jazz band and jazz ensembles at the junior high school. So he came and he started sixth grade band as a means of recruiting into the jazz band. So he would come and do these like from all the elementary schools sort of in the area, he would get these kids playing in the band. And so I wanted to play drums. Am I talking too sexy for you? Just touching up your volume. Okay. Well, for those of you who can't see what Trisha's doing, she's adjusting knobs. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you right away were like, band, I'm going for the drums. Oh my gosh. You know yeah. why you were drawn to them? Yeah. Well, anytime I would see somebody play the drums, I that's where my eyes went. That's all. I was like, like wow. If you were seeing if you were seeing any like live performance or a music video or anything. Music video, MTV was out yeah. then. So like I was very attracted to the drums when I would be watching a band play. But also when I would watch the sixth grade band as a third grader, fourth grader, fifth grader, I was always watching the drummer thinking, oh, that's so fun. That looks so cool. And so I was really like, oh yeah, I'm playing the drums, mom. And she's like, oh no, you are not going to do that. Oh, really? Did she not want you to play in the band or she just thought drums were not like proper 
they were okay with the music thing. They just thought drums was not for girls, period. And also, they were like really excited about me being a piano player or a mm. violinist, which neither of those instruments were being offered. Oh, they weren't even offered. But they're, you know, they're Persian and that's, they thought that would be nice. I could play, you know, some old folk tunes for them. Didn't work out. But flute, all my girlfriends in elementary school went to flute, except my one friend, Jenny, who played trombone. And so that was really like, whoa, edgy. Did they, when you were younger, did your parents have you, like, did you do flute or anything? Were they trying to push anything on you? No, my parents were really, they put me in beauty pageants and totally forgot, you forgot. about this. This is part of my percussive past. My mom taught me how to dance traditional Persian and gave me tiny little finger cymbals. So oh my goodness. That was my first percussion instrument. How old were you? I was like seven or eight. You were seven or eight when you started the to do beauty pageants yeah. and for your talent? My talent was Persian dancing. Did your sisters go, no. do those? It was just you. It was You're just the me. oldest. I'm the oldest daughter. I have an older brother. Right. But my parents, I think, were really trying to trying to assimilate us to American culture. And beauty pageants were like, oh, that's what you do for little girls. They do beauty pageants. And my brother did Little League. Interesting. American baseball. But yeah, so you think that was their interpretation of like, okay, this is what we do for the kids. The boys will play the sports. The girls do beauty pageants. Yeah. And I honestly, I think my parents thought I was like very darling as a, as a young girl, which looking back at photos, I mean, <laughs> not sure. Thanks, mom and dad, for believing in me. But I never won for beauty. I always won for talent. You did win for talent. I won for talent. And guess where I went? I was like, I'm going to just become talent. Do you remember being on the stage doing those performances? Like, did you love that feeling of being on the stage? Or did you like the attention? Did you? I loved being on stage. This is really funny because you know I love teamwork and I love being on teams. And I I remember being like, oh, this is like fun. Like even though it was a competition, I really loved becoming friends with the other girls. Yeah. And that was always cool. And I also feel like that maybe started me down a path of like insecurity about my, my looks too. Like sadly. Do you feel like you were looking at the other girls in the competition and like yeah, trying to like the de definition stuff. of beauty as yeah. a seven or eight year old little girl, little brown girl. Right. Cause I'm thinking beauty pageant, I'm kind of like laughing about it and just being like, oh, okay, this, but like, right. The reality is that in beauty pageants, they're dressing you up and like putting makeup on. And they are some, like, even though there's talent, but it really is like they're judging a seven year old's beauty. So weird, dude. Yeah. I think my mom looking at it now is like, ooh, maybe that was. <laughs> right. But then, you, like, she, guess, was just like, oh, okay, this is what they do with the girls. Totally. But I do think, like, it helped me realize, like, I did enjoy performing and that that's what I was good at. And I remember feeling like a young girl, like, being acutely aware of when there was something that I was doing that I liked that people were responding to it. Like I loved Persian dancing. So like I won an award for that. Yeah. But like, I definitely didn't feel like I wanted to model in my bathing suit as an eight year old. Right. So I probably, and also that weird you, and gross that that was existing. Sorry. Yeah. That is crazy to think about. Could you ever see you putting your daughter in a beauty pageant? Like how weird? No. 
But I don't blame my parents. I think it actually it helped me become the performer that I've become. Yeah. And so then, yeah, do you, you said that you would think that that also set up like comparison of how you look? Oh my God. Were totally. you? Because a little beautiful, blonde, blue eyed beauties. I mean, they were beautiful, but they were always winning. So then that became the definition of beauty to me as a young yeah. girl. I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And I'm the talent. Yeah. How long did you do them for? Do you Just remember? like two years. But there was like a couple in each year. Yeah. I should actually, I mean, my mom just brought all the trophies over. Oh my goodness. They're somewhere in the house. But she brought all the trophies. was like, do you want these still? I was like, oh my God, of course I do. <laughs> They're hilarious. Oh. Okay. So then sixth grade, you choose drums. Your mom is like, no, but really Mommy, she's mm-hmm. supportive, I'm yeah. guessing still. But she, they would have rather you picked something else. Totes. Yeah. And then, like, no, I'm doing drums. I'm doing drums. But I had to get their approval because I needed the $6 to buy the drumsticks. Then I went to junior high, played drum set. They saw me play drum set. I had a rip and solo. They're like, my dad was really like, we are buying you drum set. I got a drum set. Oh, that's cute. So cute, dad. She's got, this is a great hobby for her. She's good at it. And then it came into the garage. I had a drum set in the garage and my hours of play were three to six when nobody was home. But did you play every day? I played every day. And maybe it was like 15 minutes or 30 minutes, but right. I would play. But that was your like time slot that you were yes. permitted to play. Yep. And then high school, I joined the marching band and I joined like the orchestra and the pep. I just loved it. I learned all the different kinds of drums. Did you then, like, did you go into, like, bands bands with your friends or you were just more into marching band? I started a band with my friend Alexis. We were called Periwinkle. We were a duo. We played grad night. No big deal. I don't even know what music we played. Did you sing? No. So you were a duo that played the drums and what did she do? Just instrumental. And she played guitar. We just were instrumental. And then me and my friend Nithya, we were really into the Indigo Girls. Yeah. So we learned like um, two of the songs, like Closer to Fine and Galileo. Oh, yeah. And we became the Burgundy Bitches. The Burgundy Bitches. Instead of the Indigo Girls. And we (laughs) thought we were so cool. When was this? Like 15 or something, 15, 16. We were on the speech and debate team together. And we, when we would be at our away tournaments, we'd like jam. So then how do you jam as a drummer traveling? Did, oh, I mean. Were you just like. You know, just like clapping. I don't know. <laughs> just like, you know, palms on knees. And were you singing then? Yeah. Yeah. Just like. But that was like, did you guys actually perform or you're just like, where are the burgundy bitches? Oh, yeah. No, we were just having fun. Being and silly. like would sing Indigo Girl songs. Yeah. yeah. I think my first, my first gig was grad night with Alexis. <laughs> We played like two long form instrumentals with drums and guitar. Yeah, kit yeah. and guitar. I actually should see. I bet she's out there. Alexis, if you can hear me, we should get the <laughs> band back together. Can we navigate around should a little bit? Around what? You know. <gasps> oh, girl, I'm in trouble. I heard it. Okay. You just, you've said it a lot already. I have? <laughs> And I'm trying to not say anything. No, you should. (laughs) Fired. I'm officially fired. Okay. I can't. You. 
I'm aware of how much the word gets used. Yikes. But you are really making me present to how often that word gets used. You know why also what I like about should? (laughs) What is that? What do you like about should, Mona? (laughs) It doesn't make you take responsibility for things. No, no, no. For those of you listening and not seeing what Trisha is doing, she is rolling her eyes deep into her skull. Listen, here's what I like about should. It sounds like um it sounds like a possibility. Yeah. So like I should really I should call Alexis and Beth, both of those people I brought up. It does sound like a possibility. But I also feel like I don't maybe also like that's not gonna happen and that's okay. So what you know what I'm saying? Got it. So what I ask in the like looking at when we use shoulds is that I get that you're putting out there like this is a light possibility that I don't need to commit to, but it's available to me. <clears throat> And so I understand your usage of it and your usage of it hasn't been like, I haven't corrected you because it hasn't been about like something you're like not saying you're going to do. Right. But there also is the idea of like, well, do you want to call them? Totally. Then say, oh, I want to call them. And that's still a possibility. Right. Whereas I'm sure it's kind of seems like this is an obligation I'm creating for myself that I may or may not do. And I, you know, it's kind of a loose expectation. But then it could be like all those things I say I should do and I never get around to. But if you actually take acknowledgement and ownership of, oh, I want to call her. I want to reconnect. I want to do that. It could drive you to actually calling her or just to remember that. Because, again, you're not going to get punished whether you do or not. Don't. But the should feels heavier and can feel like, yep, I always should do these things and I don't get around to them. Oh, but I want to. And so maybe you will pick up the phone and call her. Or, again, it just goes to a list of I wants. Mm -hmm. But wants feel more exciting to me. Then shoulds. So then in this context, okay, so I was being really playful about it, right? Because yeah. I was saying that's why I almost didn't say that to you. It's yeah. just you had already used it so many times. <laughs> it's actually in my vernacular deeply. I, it's because most people. Wow. Okay, so if in that case, then, if I should say to you, oh my I, should we cancel the podcast? I should leave. No, I should leave my own house. No, you just said it again. I can't help it. It's in my vernacular so deep. This is why I'm so passionate about eliminating the world and people like it. How? I say it constantly. Exactly. But, oh no. Exactly. Okay. But so this is also, I wrote an article for yellow.com about how eliminating that one word made me the most mindful person I know. Okay. And the reasons why. One was it made me take ownership of things. One was it cut out procrastination. I should do the dishes. I don't want to. Yeah. Well, you know what? I want to clean clean. I want to do the dishes. I got to get off the couch, do the dishes. But also, because I focused on that one word, which as you can see, my, I used to come up for me as much as it's coming up for you. Yeah. I made the commitment that I wasn't going to say it anymore. So I'd be like, we should. I should. I literally committed to it and then I would have to find another word for it. But because of that, though, I became present to everything I thought and said. So you're like, I can't get around that word. It keeps coming up. (laughs) Imagine how amazing your life would be if you really tuned into it to try to transform it and what you would really be paying attention to. For those of you who can't (laughs) see me, my eyes are popping out of my face. Okay. I'm going to try, <laughs> but I want you to know if I say very few words from now on, it's because. And that was the day Mona became mute. <laughs> never. It's never going to happen. However, my eyes are literally coming out of my head because I'm so nervous. 
<laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna punish you if you say okay, it again. No, I, I just wanted to bring attention I to know. it. Well, I'm glad you did because <laughs> now I'm gonna think so deeply. <laughs> oh god. I'm sweating in very weird places. I might just if you when when you say it again, I might just quickly reframe what you're saying. I would love that. Okay. Will you do that? Yeah. <laughs> because then I can start you'll to give me a skill. <laughs> this is more of a skill session. Skillshare. I'll All teach right. you how to drum with your hands on your knees to the Indigo Ooh. Girls. And you will teach me how to be more conscious with my language. Okay. Deal. Okay. Getting to drumming with my knees, hands <laughs> on knees for Indigo Girls. That did make me think of, though, when, uh, too, when you're like said clapping. Yeah. That you are amazing at clapping. <laughs> <laughs> and I just came here to give you that award. Oh my gosh, I would love it if you gave me that award. I take my clapping you're, seriously. You're amazing <laughs> at making music of adding it, these touches, embellishes with percussive instruments, Thank including you. claps and whatever. Where do you feel like that came from and cultivated? Like, what did it start like in a hotel room? I let's make music. I don't have my drum kit. Let me just grab things. That's a great. Yeah. Because when I see you like working, okay, let's do this. We're going to run this song, whatever. And now you just look around and Mona has a pile of random objects around. We call it a garage sale. Some musical like (laughs) instruments, but some I don't even know. No, they probably are. But yeah, like, so then like the music is playing and she just starts picking up and making these like, it's not like, oh, here's a keyboard. I'm playing the keyboard, guitar, piano. She does have the drums in front of her, but a lot of it is these little tiny bells and whistles and things. <laughs> and that she would just like, okay, I'm going to play this here. Yep, I'm doing a great impression. Um, <laughs> how are you able to do that? Like, where did that come from? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking that question. I think as a percussionist, I'm still learning. So the drummer is like, you're, you know, you're, you're holding it down for the band. You're grounding the band and groove and percussion is color. Mm. So if you're looking at somebody who's supposed to embellish something, right, you're not necessarily the, some music is driven, percussion driven. Yeah. But I think most of the bands that I get hired to play in, it's a I'm I'm there to add color. Yeah, you're just like adding these magical yeah. touches. You're not like taking over the music. Right. Totally. Very important. Like sprinkle, sprinkle, magic fairy Mona dust. That's nice. TM that. Trademark. <laughs> okay. i I take that. I'm learning still. And I really feel like um I love listening and that sounds that's a, that is a literal hobby of mine. I like listening, but I also um where can I add color and is there something I can add to the song that's helpful or beautiful or interesting or whatever. So that to me requires different colors. So if it's a small bell or if it's a shaker or if it's a bongo or whatever and that's a really creative place I get to be. It seems to me to be so creative. Thank you. Yeah. No, I love it. And that's, and sometimes I get, you know, sometimes my job is to be the drummer. Yes. And also how do I infuse um, creativity when I also got to hold it down? 
And that singing is also feels like a color to me because I'm not a lead singer. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a background vocalist or so sometimes the vocal parts that I come up with are percussive. Huh. And then also my color, my voice has a color, you know? What do you mean by that? By percussive, the vocals As opposed percussive. to having like following a melodic line, like a lead melodic line, melodic line, maybe I'll add a percussive background part that's like, it's more rhythmic color than it is a vocal color. And meaning like, so instead of, so there might be another singer that's actually singing the line of the song, the actual words yes. that you might just pick a word or a sound to repeat. Exactly. Okay. That's what I thought. But for people out there that might not be as musical. Or like a horn part, right? If we're on tour and, and we have, there's a horn part in a song and maybe we haven't, we don't have the horns on that gig. Trying to replicate the horn part vocally is also something like that. Just creating, yeah. creating colors and layers and textures and all that stuff is like, that's what I love about percussion and background vocals too. How did you then get into, so we're back, you're playing in marching bands and stuff. You are sort of having some fun with friends doing music. Like, yeah, where did you get into all these different percussive then things? And like, yeah, like you have a collection of so vast of these yeah. items now. Like, where did you start discovering them and start utilizing them? Uh, well, when I started playing the cajon in college... And how did that appear to you? So I was, um, my best friend, Susan Perovi in college, she was, we're both Persian and we love Persian dancing together, which is a lot of hands, a lot of hands above the head. A lot of hands above the head. Yeah. If you could see us now, um, we're not doing it, but <laughs> I, she had said, oh, I'm going to take a two unit flamenco dance class in oh. the World Arts and Cultures Department. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, we should do that together. It's going to be like Persian dancing on top. I would love to do that with you together. And drumming on the bottom, right? Because your yeah. feet are percussive. And so we went and we did it. And I was very terrible at following choreography, <laughs> but I was really great at the groove. And so I told my teacher, I had hurt my knees. It's a long story, but I told my teacher, hey, I hurt my knee. Can I, pl can I play drums? And she was like... Did I say should? No. No, you gave me a look. And because you were getting quiet and I looked at the level and it made you put the mic closer <gasps> to your mouth and you did it. Okay. And so okay. when I opened my eyes, like, good job. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> but then, okay. So. So you asked to play. I drums. said, hey, can I, is there any percussive instrument I could play to accompany the guitarist, her awesome husband, Peter, Liliana's my teacher. And she was like, yeah, I'll bring you the cajon. And so that was a way you could still get credit by staying in the class. Yeah. I could finish the course. Yeah. So I started playing the cajon and it was like instant love. You'd never seen it. Did he tell you how to use anything? He's just like, here you go. Here's this. Here's a wood box to sit on and then hit with your hand if you don't know what a cajon is. <laughs> a cajon is a box. And if you hit the center of the drum, there's usually a bass tone. And if you hit the corner of the top of the drum, there's usually a snare tone, like a bright tone. And because I was a drum set player already... I could play kick and snare. And so, but then I'm sitting on the cajon and I'm dancing on it essentially. And I felt so expressed. I felt so excited. And Peter was such a great teacher. He was teaching me the flamenco rhythms. And then Liliana, who was an incredible choreographer and teacher, she was like, oh, you should join my dance company 
So I started doing- Why don't you join my dance company? What? <laughs> These are external, but I'm still going to correct them. Please. Yeah. Why don't you dance, my? Why don't you dance? Okay. I hope you dance. So she wanted you to join her dance company as a- As a student. Oh, as a student. Yeah, I was still a student, 19. But I mean, as dancer. No, as a cone player. There we go. I was like, wait, I'm confused. You dropped out of the class. To- no, I was still in the class. Yeah. I mean, you moved from dancer to- To cone player. To cone player in the test. And then she loved it, wanted you to come to her dance classes exactly. and play. And then at that point, she would say, why don't we get you up for- this part and you can dance. So it was dope. I was oh. playing cajon and then I'd pop up and do a quick like, little solo. Oh, hey. And I'd be like, I could do this too. And it was such a great way for me to still be involved in the yeah. dance part of it. And then I'd sit back down and play cajon. So she, Liliana and Peter really changed my life because Aww. at 19, I learned the cajon. And this is before anybody was playing the cajon or knew about it. Yeah. So I really felt like I was on the forefront of the the cajon movement, I guess, in the US, which might be like a really big statement, but I believe it. I, but I believe it because then yeah. Raining Jane went on tour and we had the cajon and every city we went to, people were like, what is that? Did you make it? How do you play it? All that stuff. No, totally. I mean, I feel like even the first time when I was meeting you, it was still a newer. Yeah. Like, huh? What, what is this thing that she's sitting on? Hmm. 2008. Oh my gosh. Buddy. Hi. High five. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> oh, old pals. Okay. <laughs> Good story. Keep, keep, going. It. keep it going. No, keep it going. Sorry. All right. I love you. Now, next. No, I love no. you, but like, we really have to finish this podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right. So they changed their life. So that's college then also. And since you just mentioned Raining Jane, yeah. did that also start in college? Yes, it did. Yeah. Raining Jane was started by two other women that are not no longer in the band. Oh, I did not know. Remember. Yeah. They're awesome. Jessica and Amy, they started the band. They saw me play the cajon. Did they title the band? No. Okay. Okay. So there it, was a band. We were called Chrysalis. Wow. Which is, for those of you who don't know, the metamorphosis between caterpillar to butterfly. I don't know what that voice is. I loved it, though. It was really fun to say it that way. So they started the band. They started the band. They saw me play the cajon at a flamenco recital. And then they found me in the dorms at Sproul wow. Hall. And were like, hey, do you play drum set? We have a gig. Do you want to be the drummer? And I was like, yes. And yes, who? And what's your name? So I said yes right away because I was amazing. stoked. That's amazing that they saw you in the flamenco. Yeah, they saw me play cajon. cajon. And then we're like, I wonder if that girl knows how to play the drums. Totally. And they changed my life too. Amy and Jessica changed my life. Amazing. So then I met Mai because they knew Mai from, Mai was already graduated. And anyway, they put us together. We played a gig. The gig was great. And they're like, we should keep doing this. And we kept it going. Let's keep doing this. And then Becky and Chaska sort of came into the mix. And then Jessica and Amy left and we became Raining Jane. And now the future is ours. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So within college, so when, so the, the four of you that it is now. Yep. When did that start? Officially 1999. Which was, you were in college still? Yep. Still in college and. Still a mascot. This is our 20th year anniversary Holy this year. Holy shit. Isn't that wild? That is so We crazy. still like each other. Who knew? 
(laughs) (laughs) Becky's still trying to quit the band, but we won't let her. No way. Well, she's just, you know, she's just like, what is this? So many harmonies. Ugh. Becky. Becky's the best. I love her. I can totally see that. It's my sister, dude. (laughs) The best. We started Rock Camp together. We're the co-founders of Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. Yes. That's like, you know. We're going to get to that. Are we? Let's go with Raining Jane, though. We're because... so busy. What time is it? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I just gave her a very dirty look. <laughs> I warned her ahead of time this was going to be a lengthy conversation. I might have to take a restroom break. Oh, okay. Just let me know. Thank there you. are these pause things. Ooh, cool. You have that <laughs> machine that pauses. Uh, <laughs> Okay, no. So, Raining Jane, you created, there was an all-girl band. Yep. When you first, that like, were creating the band, did you guys start playing out in local LA? Because you're in LA, but in a college. Right. We're at UCLA. And so, we, we started getting gigs. Our first gig was at a place called the Temple Bar, which doesn't exist anymore. I feel like I recognize it now. The so name. It was on Wilshire. So, it wasn't part of UCLA. Oh, like, no. Your first gig was like. Because Amy's boyfriend was booking the Temple Bar. And at that point, actually, it was called like American Pie or something. Okay. And we opened for a really cool surf band from Santa Barbara called Monka Fest. And so we got, we had a 30 minute set and we played like, I don't know. And you six played original songs. Song. I feel like there was maybe three songs that they had written already that they had. They were great. It was like, it was pretty awesome to be like, I don't know, 19, like playing folk rock, yeah. opening for a cool band did in Santa Monica. Did you think that that was, what, like, did you, you knew you were always attracted to the drums. Yeah. You were playing the drums. You're playing marching band. Yeah. You start to fall in love with the cajon. But like, were you, was in part of you like, I am going to be a professional musician. Never. Never. What did you think you were going to do? I, I thought I was going to graduate from UCLA. I was double majoring in economics and communications. I thought I was going to go to grad school and get my master's in business. Wow. And then become a consultant, which I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I was like, that seems like, a, like for someone that's in college to be like, I'm going to be a consultant. I honestly that's had se- no idea what it meant. I just knew that I could help somebody do something. Okay. That made money. And I was like, I'm, I have great ideas. <laughs> and then I thought maybe advertising. Okay. But you were not, I'm going to be a musician. Oh my goodness. They asked me to be in this band. It, my dream is happening or anything like that. But once you started playing in the band, did you, did it ever, were you like, can like, I be like a professional musician? No, I think you were just enjoying always, it. Always in the back of my heart, maybe not necessarily my head, but in the back of my heart, I thought, Oh, I'm going to do some sort of performative something like, cause I did all that speech and debate in high school. I did, I was in the dorm. I was like an RA in the dorms. So I loved like community building. You like did so much. I did so much, but I loved, I loved yeah. like being on teams and like creating stuff that was fun. Like I love that kind of stuff. So I would always seek out ways to be involved. Were you ever on your own? Just what like does that mean? no team. I love teams. Yeah, like meaning like you go to school, like you're like part of this, part of that, part of that, where you just like loved being with people. I loved it. Like when I was in ASB in high school, I was ASB president. Like I just ASB. Oh, student body president oh, okay. or whatever. Yeah. I just love like I always got involved. And I found that the deeper involved I got into whatever the thing was, the more enjoyment I was getting out of huh. it and the more enjoyment I could maybe create for other people. 
it was awesome. Yeah. So like whatever the thing was. So even if yeah. it was like in the dorm, I live in the dorms. Well, of course I'm going to be like, I'm going to be the RA. I'm going to be an RA. Yeah. And if I don't live in the dorms, I'm going to live in the apartment. And then I'm going to like plan a cheese party for my apartment building because <laughs> I can't not be in community. Like, oh my gosh. Maybe I'm addicted to community. <laughs> okay. But so raining Jane. Raining Jane. Yeah. Love. You guys are then you're in college. Was anybody, were, was anybody like, yes, music is my dream. Whatever. You guys just like, oh, we'll enjoy playing music and we're here in college yeah. together. Let's play music. Yeah. I think like Becky was going to maybe be a writer. Mai was working at a graphic design company. Chaska was like a captain of the volleyball team at UCLA. So maybe she was already starting to coach the volleyball team at Brentwood Middle School. You guys were all doing things. Everybody had jobs. Yeah. But like not just jobs. It seemed like things that like they were passionate about. Sure. But I'll tell you the truth. There, <laughs> okay. Tell me the truth. Let me tell you the God honest truth. The rest were lies from before. <laughs> the God honest truth is when I moved back to LA, so I graduated, moved home to San Jose, was coaching the speech and debate team with my hero, Mrs. Gay Brasher. And I was working with the student government. I was like training the kids. With the like high school you went to? Okay. Yeah, my old high school. I loved high school. And so when I came back, they're like, oh yeah, you can, we can hire you to do stuff. I was like, great. And at that point, were you planning going to grad school then? Maybe. I was okay. still sort of deciding. But Raining Jane, we were still writing music and stuff. And I was going back to LA once a month to play music. So even though I didn't know if this would be my full-time job, or I could make music a job, I was still going back to LA and loved it. And I moved back to LA and thought, okay, I'm going to take improv classes at the Groundlings. I'm going to get an internship at a radio station and I'm going to play music with Raining Jane. Wow. And let's see if something... Did you do all those things? I did all those things. But the, the internship that I had was at a radio station in San Jose. I couldn't find one in LA. Oh, okay. So then I would come home and work at this radio station was your desire to be like an on-air host or you don't know, or back end? You just I were don't know. intrigued. I just liked, I liked the idea of, again, being on a team and also maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe I could host something. Well, you totally could. I'm just okay, wondering well, if that right. if you. Yeah, maybe. And then you did the Groundlings? I took a Groundlings course and I totally got moated, corroded, and my big butt exploded because I wasn't that good at it. <laughs> I was like, I didn't, I was like, I didn't know that. And like, that seems intense. Yeah. Well, in high school, I was like on the... Everything of everything. Of course. <laughs> no, but I was in theater. <laughs> okay. Right? I was in the drama class. Like you were legit in legit, the everything of everything. But I loved it. It was so good. I was like too involved, you know? <laughs> too involved Sally. So... I was in the drama class, but we did the um, improv yeah, and like, you competitions and I loved it. Got it. And then I came to UCLA and it was like, oh gosh, like the competition in LA is like crazy. And then when I graduated and came back to LA, I was like, I'm going to take a cl beginning class. Yeah. I'm going to be great at it. LOL. I was, I was okay. I was good. Then I had to repeat the class, which was total ego bruise. I was like, gosh, I'm not even good enough to like... <laughs> Oh, like, cause they like won't let you go to the next Totes. class unless you like pass. You have to like keep retaking it until they either drop you out or pass. You. Totally. So <laughs> I was like trying to break you. Yeah. To which be was good enough. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It makes sure probably you're so committed. 
Oh my gosh. And it's expensive and all these things. So I took, I decided I was going to commit to one more beginning class. And if I loved it, I would continue. And if I didn't love it, I was going to stop and do something else. So I did it one more time and I really did enjoy it, but I thought, you know what? There's not enough heat and electricity here for me to continue. Like those terms of identifying. Yeah. I didn't feel there wasn't, I wasn't on fire about it. So I just was like, okay, cool. And the radio thing was the same. Was like, okay, I'm not feeling it. But music, I was like creating something from nothing with people that I loved. I was in community and, and then we could go and the music would serve another purpose. The music was then serving maybe entertainment or maybe soul touching, or maybe there was electricity there for me Yeah, many different lanes and many different ways. So I just, I kept doing that. And I was teaching drums to like, I had three or four drum students. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. So that was another like gratifying means of like connection with children and like teaching. I loved that. And I also worked at a coffee shop right next door to the temple bar called Anastasia's Asylum. RIP doesn't exist anymore. That is an interesting name for a coffee bar. It was dope. It was dope. I learned how to make um, egg burritos, breakfast burritos, and uh, great okay, latte. Okay, so when I met you... <laughs> <laughs> Enough about burritos. Okay, yeah, tell me. Tell me about it. Segue to nowhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't cook a lot of things, but I can make an egg breakfast burrito. <laughs> when I met you, 2008, you and the Janes had been, which nobody's named Jane, <laughs> for clarification. Our soul is Jane. You, the four females that make up the reigning Jane. Yeah. At that point, and I don't know if you still were, but you would, I know, spent years like touring sort of on your own terms. Like you had a van, you had a trailer, you were booking your own gigs all around the country, like looped into some college circuit, I believe, or something. Yep. So you guys had been working, touring, making it happen as a band for how long at that point? So we had started our college touring in 2004. And how long was that after you're making burritos? (laughs) Making freaking awesome burritos, if you could clarify. Okay. I, gosh, I graduated in 2000 and probably like two years of burrito making. No, not even. I probably worked at that coffee shop for like a year, year and a half. But like, who was it that headed up the like, let's freaking do this or let's try to do this? I think I did. (laughs) (laughs) I think I did, but I'd like to get clarification from my sister's Jane. Okay. None of which are named Jane. As previously mentioned, I had heard about this thing called NACA from my great friend, Eric Fraley. And Eric had done the NACA scene, it, that, which is National Association of College Collegiate Activities. Yeah. You know, it's funny in the, there's a comedy show out now on HBO and he does the NACA scene and I knew about it through you guys. So that is, they did an amazing depiction of NACA on that. Pete Holmes nailed it. I mean, that's exactly what you experience, like the marketplace of all like wax hands and inflatables and comedians and magicians and the band that's trying to get booked. So, yeah. So it's basically 
once you get in or like be accepted by NACA, then are you most of the time like you do like their whole circuit or you're not well, guaranteed or like it's just like you're working like, OK, you hear about this. Let's try to get in, get on the radar. Right. So my friend had expl- at that time, this is like 2003, 2004. The, the way that it worked was you apply, you became a member, a NACA member. So you paid a membership fee to become a member. Then you apply for to showcase. Oh. And there was main stage showcases, 15 minutes, and like 400 people And I'm apply. guessing a showcase means you play for free. Or no. Or you pay them to showcase. Right. So you yeah. pay a membership fee. Yep. And then pay them to allow you to play for 15 minutes. Right. But you apply to play. So then there's a committee of people who are watching your submission video. And it's not an easy job, right? And they're trying to pick comedians, magicians. They're trying to show diversity, right? So our first year of applying, we applied to Main Stage Showcase. We didn't get it because there's only like 30 slots and 400 people apply. But we got something called a roving showcase. And what that was, was for one day of the conference, we got to acoustically go and play whatever we wanted the whole day. So instead of getting 15 oh, minutes that's interesting. on a big stage, we did acoustic. I played the cajon, my played the cello, Becky played guitar. I mean, bass guitar and sitar, and Chaska played guitar, and we all sang. No microphones, nothing. Just like set up anywhere on campus. So imagine like people are coming out of the main stage showcase. We'd be set up like buskers. Yeah, so I was about to say. Like- I mean, I was always asking for a Costco cart so that they could just push me around so I didn't <laughs> ever have to get up and move. But they declined that idea. So we would play. So we kind of like took advantage of it. We're like, all right, anytime they're getting out of a session, we're going to be there. Anytime they're going in and out of lunch, we're going to be there. That day, that was our first NACA conference in Spokane, Washington. Is that right? No, 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 no. Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. So are they even paying for you to fly there and put you up? So you are at this point. You guys are spending the money. A lot of money. To in. go yeah. be buskers, basically, yeah. Yeah. for free. And we'd never done it before. Yeah. With the hope is that they will see you and then want you to be part of the conference. But I think we knew. We, I think we really genuinely knew this was going to be great. I was like, we are so- But that's so, a big risk. Oh, my gosh. So Money deep. back then, I'm sure. Yeah. Flying, hotel room. I know. Yeah. But I really believe that we knew- Let's go for it. Let's do this $5,000 investment or whatever it was at the time. And we did it. We were the most booked band of the whole conference. Like from that moment on? From that, at that conference. We were like, or the most, but we were the most booked artist, I think, at the whole conference. So it was the NACA conference that you were playing. So got it. So all of the sort of buyers or which are colleges the buyers are colleges right so got it so they are there to find the talent that they're going to use for their college entertainment so when you're at the most book that that people are like they're watching the showcases of people's 15 minute things saying okay maybe you want to book them maybe you want to book them and then they walk outside see you ladies and then they're like wait who are you guys we can book you and they also loved that we didn't have any tech so like, oh, you guys could play. Low maintenance. We don't need to hire a sound company production to come in and build you totally. a stage. So then imagine how many hallways Raining Jane played. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so that is amazing. You went up there, spent money. You totally. sort of like got a bit of a like, oh, okay, well, you guys can play out here. Yep. 
And you were the most booked band. Most booked act or something of the whole conference. And that set us up for the next four years because then we knew, okay, we're going to go play all these shows and we're going to do our very best. We're going to do it with our whole hearts. We're going to give them a show that's undeniable. And they'll bring us back. And they brought us back. And it was so cool. We made the coolest relationships. We met the coolest people because these are people that are bringing entertainment to their colleges. They're awesome, community-minded, very like-minded people is us. Yeah. They're looking for interesting acts and talents to come to their and entertain their students and bring a little bit like joy, diversity, excitement to the campus. Yeah. Yeah. They were our people. So we totally were in line with them. So we would come to campus like, how can we make this a great program for you? You know? Team mascot. Oh my gosh, hello. RA. President of everything. President of everything. <laughs> so it was dope. And we really got to know each other. Rainy Jane got to know each other. We bought a van and a trailer. Because I was going to say, so then you're the most booked act. You then do have to organize like the dates. Yep. Get the van. Yeah. You have to like then get into some logistics. And even though those shows you're going to get paid for, but after you perform, right? So then you're like, okay, we need a van. We need the this. We need to. It was so cool because the four of us all have different kinds of skills. Yeah. And so we all took a piece of the business and focused on it. So was that easy to delegate because of your unique skills? Or were you like, mm, I don't know this, that, or that? Or did anybody have like trouble letting go or being like, I don't really want that job task? Yeah, that. I think we, a lot of us had to take, a lot of us, each of us at some point had to take on a task we didn't want. Yeah. But we all, we had to get done. Yeah. And that's still how we are. Yeah. Like we're still like independent band. And it's so amazing like to see how each one of us has stepped up over the years to like take parts of the business so that we can thrive on our own. But I feel really lucky I have my three literal sisters. Like it's crazy. Like we've been through so much and everybody takes on so much to see the whole thing rise, you know? What have been some of the hardest things about I'm guessing that yeah, like when was that? Was the hardest time when you were bought the van and showing up to do those NACA shows? Or like, yeah, like what has been the hardest thing of just being in a band and trying to and and also were you guys then cool? We're working musicians, we booked this NACA scene, we're happy with that. Or was there parts of you that were like, nah, we, we need something more or else or to play at clubs and not just colleges or anything like that? Were you like just stoked? Like, cool, we got these gigs locked in. I think, yeah, we did get burned out. Totally. I think the hardest thing was being tired and doing it all. Yeah. So then you're like, you're not just one person tired. You're four people tired at different times. So there's four people, maybe grumpy, maybe not, maybe hungry, maybe tired. Hey, but you still have to drive to that gig and you still have to show up to the gig. And because it was just us, we couldn't be like, hey, you know, manager, can you go deal with this? You know, it was yeah, just us. You weren't like, you had a tour manager, a sound person, guitar techs, all of that setting the stage up. It was just you guys taking care of everything from like making sure you got paid at the end of the day. Totally. Making sure, do we, we need gas. Like, what are we going to eat? Like really having to take care of everything plus then be performing. You got it. But we did actually, one of the best decisions we ever made was hiring a sound guy that we met on the road at one of our gigs in New Hampshire, we played University of New Hampshire and we loved our sound guy so much. We're like, do you tour? He's like, no, but I know a guy that does and he's amazing. 
And that's how we met our guy, Matt Mason, who was our sound guy. And he was amazing. And he came on the road with us for about two years. And was that a decision everybody was behind right away? Because I'm guessing then there's like, oh, well, then we're making less money because we're paying this person then need to pay a hotel extra and all that stuff too. But then like, but think of the pressure that will be off of us or... No, everyone was in. Everyone right away was like, we got to do this. We were touring like eight months out of the year, full time at four months, a chunk each, because this was a way that we could sustain ourselves. And you're also like sharing hotel rooms, right? Like you're like not in the glamour touring. No way. And that wasn't our vibe anyway. Even in glamour touring is like rough, but like. (laughs) Totally, totally. But it makes like where we've landed now in our lives we're so grateful. We're ne- I mean, what I love about Raining Jane is that we've we've really worked so hard to come where we are now, but we don't take it for granted. Not one person is like, "Oh, now I am, you know, living a life of luxury." It's like, "No, we still work for it." You know, we know that. And I still have gigs where I'm setting up my own stuff. Yeah. And I still have gigs where everything is on me. So I've never been in a position where I'm like, "Oh, those days are long gone behind me." you know? Yeah. But I was in charge of all the contracts and I was in charge of all the bookings for the band. Okay. So I just built in the sound engineer into our contract. So I could say, oh. I would say now we, we charge $500 more because of this, not because Amazing. of this, but we just charge $500 more and we need instead of two rooms, cause we would split rooms. Yeah. We need three rooms. So you guys weren't, didn't, have to take any sort of cut you just though what can be hard for many people is you had to ask for more yeah we did did you have fears around that or were you guys so at the point of like well if they say no they say no because we are like just not did you think like we're gonna add these costs and they might not book us anymore yeah yeah that is a like a legit fear yeah and what i realized was we're going to, there's going to be a growth period and we might lose some colleges, but I didn't think it was unfair. I, w- yeah. we, I wasn't going for stuff that felt inappropriate. I felt like we'd been in the market long enough. I was going to say you've been there, like you had earned, it wasn't like yeah. they booked you. And then the second time you're like, okay, and now we're need double. And honestly, I do feel like as artists, like I was okay to to negotiate. I was the booking agent too. Yeah. I wasn't just the artist. So I had gotten all these skills as a booking agent. And then it was like, oh, I know how to talk to people. And I could say, if that doesn't work for you, please let us know. We want to play your school. Right. So see if there could be any, if it was, they were really going to say no, then maybe you could find some like yeah. room. And yeah. sometimes we lost gigs and that was okay too. It's, I took it, I took my job really seriously because I knew this was the sustainability of not only Raining Jane, but these individual people in this band. It was yeah. like the future of each person, you know? Yeah. So it was cool. It was a neat time. And I thought for a minute, maybe I'll become a college booking agent. And then I was like, oh, I want to hit things. I don't want to make phone I calls. I want to hit things, <laughs> meaning play the drums. Yeah, play the drums, <laughs> not people. And so in that time, you're playing all these shows. Is that when, do you just like, again, I'm going back to all these percussive instruments. Yeah. I'm guessing you didn't start with all that you have. You just keep collecting and, oh, I like this sound. I like this sound and that. The, you- J- the Jason gig is what put me in the percussion world. Really? Before then I was playing drum set or cajon. 
So with Raining Jane, you were on a full drum set, unless you guys were doing like an acoustic set. We would do both. Set. Yeah, okay. we would do both. Cajon. So I would play like drum so kit. So it was just the cajon. You didn't have, all, but you probably, you had your bells around your foot. I had my foot, bells. I had my bells. a very, yeah, Mona thing. My gungurus. Yeah. yeah. I had those and I had the tambourine. Oh, okay. So I learned how to sort of create a drum set from the cajon, but that's, that's percussion, but it wasn't the role of a percussionist. I was still playing the role of a drum kit player. Okay. The drum set like player. holding the beat, because you yes. were like handling the beat, not where you're saying like percussion is adding- the color. The color. You right. were playing percussive instruments, but holding that beat. Right. And so then once, when I started working with Jason in the duo Mraz. environment, or Jason Mraz, right, our collective friend. <laughs> yeah, I met you through Jason. Yeah. Okay, great. So I was playing just Cajon as the drummer, as a duo. And then he said, come and be in the band as the percussionist. So wait. When we like flew you to Dubai, I was just playing Cajon. That was the first time of being like the percussive. No, I had done a few other things with him. Okay. As a duo, just like one offy kind of thing. A couple of things. Yeah. Cause like I'm just, I'm remembering the moment on tour where we made the choice of we need Mona here. Yeah. Like for every show. <laughs> and that I think Dubai was where we got you. <laughs> That like was the so first like, crazy joining of the troops. But yeah, so maybe there had been some stuff before that. I just remember Jason and I like in this conversation, like in the Dubai or like in an airport from wherever we were flying yeah. and like in Asia. And like, okay, I'm going to text her. I think I texted you so first cool. to be like, hey. Yeah, you were such a special like part tomorrow. of that time. Yes. And and I got on a plane. Across the world. I was like, well, I better wash my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funny. Totally okay, funny. So okay. So that's like where it started to. So then, yeah, like, so then because he wanted you in like, oh, I want you for the color. Yeah. Because of then you were like, okay, then you just start got so much more interested in what else can I do? Where can I find these sounds? Yes. Because already, like, Leroy was the drummer at that time, right? I believe so. So he is such an incredible musician. So he was adding so much texture, not just as a kit player, but the way that he creates sounds, he brings a lot of dimension. So then I'm thinking, how do I add to what he's doing? Without interfering. Exactly. Right. So it was, I mean, I had to go right to school, you know, and just figure out. So what does that mean? What was school for you? School was just paying, uh, like listening in a new way. And when I would now listening to music, I'm listening for the percussion. I'm not listening for the kit or I'm watching percussionists differently. And it was a really big change for me. And how do I feel like put in that place of, okay, whether it's Jason or anybody, somebody hires you to be the percussive to not even be like, yeah, you're going to be the drums you're holding. This is the part you play. Percussive is much more in what you've created. I feel like you're making it up. So yeah, how have, have there been times where you're like in your head and not able, like how do you get where you're like fully like, I'm just here with the music to do this and not like, you know, cause I'm guessing there might be a like, do I play this? Do I do what instrument do I pull up? Well, that's what rehearsal. I have to prepare for the tour so that I'm not, uh, I mean, performing is such, um, it's so deep for me. It's such a soulful experience for me. But even in the rehearsal, like let's say you're, or if you're in the recording, like yeah. do you just now feel like you're comfortable enough it doesn't come 
up, but even if you go back to when you guys first started, well, so you guys started writing, which we, Jason and I talked in that, yeah, you, when you guys met and started writing. Um, so that too, then you're just like writing. It's not like pressure of performance, but there was there any of like, oh, this Jason Moret. I don't, did you guys ever think of like that? I don't even know where he was in like. I was a fan of his when yeah. I met him. Yeah. So like, did you feel like nervous for the first time, like writing with him? Like, is he going to like, this is this good enough? Am I an idiot? Like, of course. Yeah. I think that that, that hasn't gone away with anything that I do, Re- regardless of the level of the artist that yeah. hires me. I'm always thinking not in, I'm not coming from an insecure place anymore, but I'm oh, coming good. from a place of how can I be of value to yeah. this situation or this musical moment. That's always where I'm coming from. So the fear subsides in a performative situation is because- that how, Is that how like going back to when you might've been in insecure terms, is that yeah. how you were able to do it? Just like I'm here to add totally. to the performance. So I totally. just like, just keep thinking that way instead of what if this isn't I always right think or, also like, this isn't about me. Yeah. So when I come from a place of like, it doesn't, it's not about me. It's about what am I bringing to the situation or- it's not about me. I've been hired in this situation to be of support to X person. That totally takes the worry away. And if I prepare, then I can be free. Then I'm just like, I get to be Mona T in the room and like shake my shakers yeah. that I've decided is the right color for that thing. That you've decided on your own while listening to the music. Cause you like take your time and like you're listening and like playing around yourself and like this feels, yeah, that's and not quite this. Maybe I have this. no ego. I have no ego. So when I'm in a room with people and they say, actually, I'm really hearing bongos. I was just about to say, well, yeah, how does that feel when somebody's then like, uh, no, Mona, I don't like that. I don't like what you're doing there. Or can you try something else or yeah. whatever? Then it's you're just not like, about okay, me. It's, it's their totally. thing. I'm here for their. You nailed it. I don't have an ego about it. Was there a time where you felt like that came up though, where you had to be like, or, or that it made you feel like, okay, I'll play the bongos, but oh my God, I can't believe I chose the wrong thing or anything. You're just able to see, okay, great. That's what they want. Totally. Because also it's, I might have an opinion about what I think is correct for the moment. Right. Yeah. And maybe we'll get back there. Maybe I'll get back to that place where that shaker is the right choice right? I could also say, oh, well, let me hit, let me do the bongos for this part. Also, can I do, can I run a shaker, a pass at a shaker Yeah, here just so you can hear it? I don't, yeah, there's no ego about it because it's just music and it's in the moment. And maybe in that moment, the bongo is the right choice. And maybe the next time it's too loud and I have to play the shaker live because mm-hmm. that makes more sense with the drum set hi-hat or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I suffer less when I stay fully like open to what's happening in that moment. I suffer less when I stay fully present to what's happening in that moment. Is that what you said? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In the room. I mean, if I'm engaged in that moment, I know like I just suffer less. And yeah. I, no, I repeated it because I thought it was beautiful and profound for anybody in what you. they're doing. Yeah. I suffer less when I stay fully present in, to what's happening in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, think about that. Yeah. Very profound, lady. Hey, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm learning from you. And true. I'm learning from you. Yeah. No matter what, we can get so good. What will they think? What will they think? Oh, blah, blah, what's going to happen next? Why don't you just be there? Totally. <laughs> and, and just be, I, I don't, I, the attachment thing has been so, like, n- the non-attachment thing. Yeah. Has been the greatest teacher because then it's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't matter. 
That's not, like, was there a time where you did have attachment that you had to work through that? Or you're just awareness, your own awareness of like, oh, I'm able to do this because I am not attached. Exactly. Yeah. I think I've gotten to all the places in my career because I haven't been attached. But you know where that leads me sometimes is to being really indecisive. Because then I'm so open. That you're like wanting someone else to make the call for you? Sometimes, but also then I'm just like, I don't even know what the best choice is because there's so many great choices. So an example would be my cajon that I designed, the box that I designed, the empty box. I had to design a logo for it. Yeah. This was so hard for me. To design the logo that will go on the cajon that you designed. Because I thought I had the logo. I thought it was the three holes on the side. I thought if I make a little icon of those three holes on the side and made it a little graphic and put it, vectorized it on the front of the drum, that's the logo. Because when you, when I think of my empty box, it's those three holes that are gradually getting smaller as they go up. Then I told LP Latin Percussion, who I collaborated with on the logo. And I said, which is pretty epic that you collaborated with. Are they not like the main yeah. or biggest producer of percussive yeah. instruments? They're the in best the world. I can't believe it. That yeah. you created, designed. I have goosebumps thinking about how dope they are. They're so dope. And they trusted me and wanted to do a signature drum with me. But now I'm sitting here like, this is such a big opportunity. I don't want to blow it. And I want when people see the drum to know it's the empty box. Yeah. How can I make it feel? So you turned in the three dots. They were fine with it. But then you second guessed yourself. But then they said to me, okay, well. Don't you want more of a mark on it? Can we put your name? Yeah. Can't we just have your signature on it somewhere? I was like, no, I don't want Mona on my drum. Yeah. You know? And they're like, okay. So then they're like, what about some of your empty art? Which is like my, I make these little triangle collages. And they're like, what about something like that? I was like, okay, let me try. So I had my friend Amber, who's our awesome friend, help me vectorize some of my empty art. And we tried that. And I was like, nope, this isn't it. Then one day I pulled out um, some washi tape. Is that how you pronounce it? And I started just like decorating my cajon with it. And I started, I was like, let me put an M and a T on the cajon. And so then I made that and I took a photo of it and I was like, wow, this looks like a really like strong graphic design, but it's also my initials are in it. And then I would show people and nobody was reacting with certainty about any of the 1200 designs I had come (laughs) up with. You just wanted someone to be really excited about something for you so that you didn't have to make the choice yourself and trust yourself. And I was suffering so much because I was like, maybe I, maybe I don't deserve to have this cajon and maybe I don't, I mean, so many things (laughs) came up for me. And then I was like, you have to make a choice and move on. Yeah. And if it doesn't make sense, it's not final. Yeah. Maybe only these hundred, first hundred are going to have this logo. Yeah. And then maybe the next edition. So I just let go of everything. And what did you go with? I went with the washi tape at Big M and Big T, and I'm stoked. I was about to say, that feels to me like the perfect best choice. I'm just wondering if you were resisting resisting where they were like, Mona, they wanted an MT. They wanted that because a part of you was like not taking ownership and credit for all of your accomplishments and how amazing you are that it wasn't like, well, I, yes, I designed this. I'm really proud of this box, but like, I don't need, I don't want my name on it because what does that mean about me? Totally. And still, I don't want my signature on the cajon. 
I don't. I understand the signature of you can be like, well, that's not my thing. But I'm so happy you chose to go with the MT because that Thank feels you. like you are owning that and your accomplishments and this huge thing that you had to collaborate with the, the major manufacturer of percussion yeah, instruments. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, dude. And all the hard work that you do. So I'm really happy that you went with OMT and that you are or MT and that you claimed it. But isn't I find it's funny when I love to ask people's opinions or that like same thing. Even now I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm settled on the name of the podcast. So let me talk about with somebody, but I'm now mindful of, okay, who's going to be able to like give me actual good feedback? Uh-huh. Or sometimes it's just that I need a space to talk about things out loud to be heard so that I can even hear myself besides all the thoughts ping ponging around in my head. Yep. But sometimes like, yeah, like some people have given me the like, yeah, that's awesome. And I'm like, and it means nothing because I'm also like, well, they don't, that's like their reference. And it's like our, we're all like, we all think about things so different or put our own spins on things. But it's just like, sometimes we are asking questions. We're wanting someone to give us the the answer or the validation we want, but it's really just like, it's always inside of us. I feel like it's just that we're like hiding it somehow or we haven't gotten there yet or owned it properly. Or even right now, I'm not sure if I'm going to go with the, the podcast title. It's like, I am feeling it, but is there something else out there? But I realize that someone else telling me, oh my God, I fucking love that, which felt great when you told me that, by the way. I did love it. But that still is like, I still have to get to a place of it myself. Exactly. But in this case, nobody yeah. had given me any, like everybody had a different choice that they liked. Yeah. And as you have spoken of this too, like you already know. Yeah. You just want other people totally. to tell you you're on the right path. Because we're also, we're living in a society and we want our, we want other people to subscribe to the thing. Yeah. Well, that's just like, yeah, I want it to be approachable. I want it. So I, I do need feedback and resonate. One thing that I, I remember about past life me, my, uh, my clothes are not very exciting in this moment of my life. But at yeah. one time I used to like be some pretty creative in how I dressed and like, I'm going to put this with this and this. And I remember asking like, you know, somebody seemed like, hey, you like this outfit? And they would, or like whoever would just look at me like, no, I don't know what you're doing there. <laughs> but that never made me change my outfit. It would more be like, Oh, I like it. So cool. But I would always want to ask people's opinion. And it almost made me remind myself of like, well, how do I really feel about it? So for me, sometimes asking other people's opinions, is just helping me get closer to my own truth, intuition and trusting myself. Isn't that funny? I love that. No, like, I mean, that's, like, yes, exactly. I'm wearing I agree all with you. black right now. It's a great outfit choice. But like I did used to do some like, this is like some like random things. And I loved it. And I maybe will get back there at some point. In my life. But yeah, I would be like, oh, what do you think about this? Like, that's just one reference of thinking or, or, hey, what do you think about the name of this? Or what do you think about how I wrote this this way? I still will often still ask. But I, that doesn't mean I follow the feedback given. And many times it makes me more fired up about what I'm feeling. Yeah, I think that's great. It's me, Trisha. Just taking a brief interruption here because I want to make sure that you know that you have my daily inspiration app called Own Your Awesome. It's available on the Google Play and Apple App Stores. Open your uh, app right now. 
and do a search. Own your awesome or your joyologist. It's hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations to empower you, to inspire you, to get you to look at your thoughts and your life a different way. I'm going to open it up right now and see what message I get. Oh, it says people want to support me. I allow them to support me. I ask for support with absolutely no shame. Hmm, did anybody need to hear that? Anybody have a hard time asking for help? Yeah, so they cover a variety of things. I'm going to hit show me a card again. I put out into the world what I want to come back to me. Hmm, good reminder. And then I just hit it again and it says, open yourself up to the love and admiration that you are worthy of. It must come from you first and foremost. So true. And that's the point of this podcast. Claim it that a lot of times we can't feel the things that we desire unless we are claiming them for ourselves. You got to love yourself the most in order to be able to accept true love from others. So. Yeah, it's hundreds of these different thoughts and affirmations. You can set a daily reminder time. So like every day at 7 or 6 a.m. or 2 p.m. or 9 p.m., you get a reminder to go check the app and get your message. But you can come there anytime you want. You can hit a little heart to make it a little favorite for you. You can easily hit a share button, share on social media, share with an email or a text to send messages to friends. I just really want you to own who you are, to get out of your head and to claim it all for yourself. So go download the app. It's only $3.99. That's like less than a latte, um, about the same price as a kombucha, depending on where you are. And it's a one-time price for all of these awesome insights and affirmations. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, so we've talked about Raining Jane. You guys are doing it for yourself. You guys eventually, at some point, met Jason right. when you're performing. Was it at a NACA show? A it was at a college show. College show. Yeah. And then you started writing with him on and off when you, made, you guys wrote Beautiful Mess together, which was the first song that made it on an album yep. with you guys, right? Yeah. So uh, where were you guys at band wise when he then decided to like work with you more and write the whole um album to get what was yes yes i forget were you touring with him as the band before that no not, not yet hard. yeah but we had been writing on and off since 2007 with him i joined as a duo partner top of or 2011 2012. Right. So yeah. So we yeah. So you were brought in to Remember play. We did Zermatt on tour, and yes, we did Zermatt. You said then I just flashed to the hotel. Casablanca. Remember that crazy place, dude? Flashed to the bathtub. <laughs> well, that sounds like a private conversation, but um, I was just saying it. <laughs> flash to the bathtub. Crystal. It was a good hotel. It was a great hotel. So 2010. I started doing stuff 2011. It got more 2012. Um, we started doing more duo stuff. And then um, summer of 2012, I joined Jason's band for the love tour. Right. And then 2013, we started writing more stuff with Jason. Raining Jane and Jason started writing even more. 
And now we have like a catalog of songs of like over five, six years that we've written together. But also in that time, you were starting to play with some other people, right? Uh And how did that go with, were you guys as the reigning Jane in the band, like ready to take, were you on a break? And so it like worked out fine. Was there ever been any issues within the band of like, because it's been around for so long now, but there's different evolutions and breaks in the Okay Hour with Jason writing in this way. How have you guys been able to, yeah, no, please finish the question. How have we managed through all that stuff? I just, I think we really trust each other. And I think this group of women, we are going to, going to be reigning Jane forever. And we've just sort of trusted that we continue to come back together to do special things like rock camp or like working with Jason has been such a gift because there's such a focus there. It's not just us four trying to do something. It's like the gift of Jason's leadership in that way of him being like, let's write together. He's a great editor. He's a great band leader in that way. And so we've been able to put on a new like outfit. Yeah. Joining, joining or him joining our band essentially. (laughs) Right. Him being the lead singer of our band. (laughs) And like, um, it's been such a gift. So, uh, Let's so like with Jason, you had some familiarity from years before you went to perform and like be in the studio with him. Some other artists you're playing with, and let, let's talk about like now you also perform with Ebby, yes, Iranian superstar, which is yes, and I, <laughs> but like seriously, you're laughing, but he didn't. Did you compare him to like the Elvis of Iran or what is he's like the Tony Bennett, the Fred, Tony Bennett. Frank Sinatra. I'm like mega star in Iran, but because of global community, yeah. you tour around the world to major audiences. Yes, to major. Ebby is like, he's such a wonderful person and he has 50 years of performing wow. under his belt. And he is such a great role model and such a wonderful man to work for. And also he just, he brings so much joy. Yeah, it's crazy. I get to play with Jason internationally, and they sort of have similar energies in the world. Like they're so beloved and wonder, and they're truly wonderful. Like, yeah. So it's been a real. But real what did so I was that bringing way. that up for the main fact of like, what did that? Did anything come up for you, or were there things that you need to work work on yourself, like not just in your like playing, but mentally to then go to this new space that was like Iranian, am I saying that right? Yeah. Musician, but also like a mega star playing with all of these people that you didn't know because you had been in with familiarity for a while. Yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah. So I'd gone from like having to learn how to be in a 10-piece band as a percussionist to then um, being the drummer in the five piece of Jason and Jane. And then now I've been asked to join an Iranian band and play percussion. Not just an Iran, Iran, right. Iranian, 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 Iranian. Iranian is fine too, but Iranian is um, Iranian. So but like mega following, mega. not just yeah, like, Oh, I'm joining totally. And because of my, I was born in America, but I feel like, I love my culture. You are 100%. 100% Iranian, yeah. But I was born here, and so I feel very American. 
you know? Yeah. Did you guys go there often or did, did you Yeah, have- growing up, I would go like every four years, but I haven't mm, been there well, since. Four years, it's not like every year, so that can be. Right. That's a big chunk of time for a kid. And the last time I went was 2007 or something. With your family. Yes. Yeah. So I haven't been there in a very long time. So oh, even now with Abby, you haven't yeah, been there. No, we don't go. We don't go to Iran. He's not allowed to go back. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Okay. But so we go around the Middle East, wow, but around though. Iran, and we try to go to countries where Iranians have can get visas wow. to come out and see him. But yeah, so I'm just like thinking. So yeah, like how did you get through that fear again? I'm guessing. You prepared a lot. Prepared a lot. And, but, and that still, was also to be the percussion Yes, to player. be percussionist. And did they have another percussion player you were filling in for? They were just adding this They were position. adding me. They didn't have a percussionist in the German band. They have two bands, one band in Europe and one band in the US. And I was in both bands. Wow. And so the German band does not have a percussionist. And the US band, they were... Um, I was coming in as a new percussionist Okay, so you were filling someone was, else's yeah. spot for the yeah. American band. And I don't play traditional Persian percussion, right? Because I- Is it I, different instruments? T- yeah, totally. But because Evie's playing pop music and he was so open-minded, like, we just want you. So you do Mona, come into the band, and we'll see how it goes. So they they became aware of Mona Tavakoli and said, we want you to play. Yeah, my friend is the production manager. Okay. Who I met while on tour with Raining Jane. Okay. And he's this awesome Iranian guy who is a great guitar player. His story is actually amazing. So anyway, he he was like, would you ever play Persian music? I was like, sure, but I don't play Persian percussion. He's like, no, I think, I think you'd be great. So they basically brought me in for an audition, but it was a show. Oh, really? In Toronto. Wait, so like you didn't have a rehearsal or anything? Okay, you rehearsed with them. Yep, but this one show is going to be my audition. Right. And they right. said, let's see if you work and let's see if you like it. Kind of yeah. 360. And I was so nervous. And I remember talking to my aunt and I told her, I don't know how Iranians are going to react to me. I don't know if they're going to. Because hmm. the audience yeah. is. Because with the Jason stuff, I'd gotten to a point where I really felt fully expressed. I felt like I could go for it. Yeah, I was about to say, you like, and you like go for it. I love it. Yeah. I mean... If I don't, my attitude when I play with Jason is, this might be my last show. Like, truly. So, I want to, how do I want to leave my last show? like a lot of fun. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It makes me feel free. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it's kind of be like, this might be my last show. But, like, yeah, it sort of makes me like, well, then I'm going to fucking go for it and have the best time time. I can. I'm going to shake it till I can't shake it no more. Amazing. So that's the feeling I have is like, oh my gosh, you better. And even if like I'm getting tired or like whatever, I'm like, you better go, girl. You better go, girl. <laughs> I love it. There's so much good self-talk happening during the show because. Within the show, like you'll be feeling tired in the show and you're yeah. like, and what do you tell yourself? I'm just like, get it. Let's go, baby. Like I really, it's so funny. My inner monologue during a show, I don't have a lot of it too because I'm so present to my bandmates. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh. You're I'm looking at my it. bandmates to like, let's have the best time of our lives. And also the audience members. I know that this is our one three-hour block together. So like, what are you feeling? Let's have the best time ever. And then, so if I ever get to a point where there's self-talk, it's usually like my hair is covering my face and I'm playing the cajon like an animal. And then I'm like, you better get it, girl. 
Like that's <laughs> and you pretty just much. go take it to the next level. I take it. And then that's why after shows, there's like a 20 minute window of like ecstasy where I'm like so excited and happy and joyful and like let's eat everything, let's hug everybody. And then after that, I'm like, bye bye, good night. <laughs> then I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Mona turn off now. Totally. <laughs> I'm like in my bunk watching a rerun of the office and i'm going right to bed <laughs> okay so then so the ebby thing so we're at this show in toronto this is 2016 and my aunt goes first of all they're either gonna love you or they're gonna hate you and it doesn't matter she's like you know you're good mm-hmm. and what you need to do is i want you to close your eyes until you feel okay and then when you're ready look at them Wow. And I was like, okay. I was terrified. I was terrified. So I closed my eyes. I did not look at them. And I would look at the band. I walk out on stage. I'm not, I'm not eyes closed. But you're just like looking at your setup and not looking out into the audience. Totally. And I get, I just am looking at my. I for a minute was like, I have a baby. Yeah. They're crying. Where am I? It's <laughs> Mona's cat. <laughs> so I'm legit looking at the band or I'm looking at, wait, hold on. Let's come on. So I'm not looking at the audience. I'm looking at my bandmates. I'm looking at my gear. And it took me, we have two sets in that show. It took me until the second set to look at the audience. Wow. And when I did, they were smiling at me. Oh. And I almost cried. I was about to say, I'm about to cry. Yeah. So are- <laughs> I mean, I was so grateful. I was so grateful. And I'll tell you what, it's now three years playing with Emmy, and Iranian people have just impressed me over and over and over again. Because at our best, Iranian people are the warmest, kindest, most loving people. And at our worst, we're like a little bit egocentric and about, Mm. Like having nice cars and things and being a little bit snobby. Okay. So I've, through Ebby, Ebby is such a generous, loving example of an Iranian person that I think the people that are fans of his are in line with that. Yeah. Most of them. I would say 90% of them. So I'm getting like that experience with Iranians all over the world. Yeah. From Iranians in Oklahoma City to Iranians in Melbourne, Australia. You know? Yeah. What do you think it was that you had the fear that they wouldn't accept you? Well, I just, I don't have, I didn't have like a deep connection with Iranian people because I was, I'm in America. So. Like, did you think they were going to look at you and be like, oh, she's too American? Like what? Yeah. yeah. Like because Iranian girls don't play percussion, number one. Number two, they don't play it the way I do. And I'm telling you what, every show I played with Ebby, People would say, are you Brazilian? Oh. Are you from South America? Do you think, is that because, like, what do you make up a proper Iranian woman is supposed to be? Like, you know, is it like, oh, because, you know, like, they need to be poised and proper and dressed a certain way or like something? Is it because, like, you're sitting on a box, like... Legs spread. Legs spread, bending over, hitting it, flipping your hair around making faces totally not like she's not like making funny faces but she's in the music yeah. she's Expressed. very expressive uh-huh. yeah i just i was just in hawaii was on the plane was walking through security and this woman looks at me and goes are you 
and she makes a gesture of hitting a drum. Yeah. And I go, yeah. And she goes, me and my sister are such big fans. We see you with Ebby. She was an Iranian woman. And I was like- And you weren't even, that's what, you weren't in Hawaii for that. You were in Hawaii for something else. So it wasn't like, oh, you were just at a show. And so it made sense for her to recognize. Yeah. And so she's like, oh my gosh, can I, can you come meet my sister? I was like, yeah, of course. So I'm, I'm on the plane, sitting on the plane and an Iranian woman with two daughters comes up to me and she goes, hi, I'm, you know, this person and you met my sister. And she was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. We're such big fans of yours. And I'm like, really? Wow. Thank you. And she's like telling her daughters, like, this is Mona. She's such a great drummer. You, I'm going to show you videos of her. And I'm like, wow, this is such a cool moment for me. And she says, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> and I said, oh yeah, talk to me. She's like, how are you so expressed? Wow. And I got chills all over my body. And I was like, that is such a wonderful, exciting question that you asked me. She's like, how are you raised? Who are your parents? Oh my God. How did this happen? How are you like this? Yeah. And I was like, that's exactly where I came from, right? I came from a place where it was like, am I allowed to be this expressed? Yeah. Is this what an Iranian woman does or girl does? No. What? So, yeah. That was an exact experience of that. What I was thinking before you even said that was that what I see is that for a lot of those women out there of different ages, that you're showing them what's possible. Mm -hmm. Like, even though it's not not be like, oh, it's possible to be a drummer, but just that like the freeness or, you know, like in everything that you're embodying on the stage, that if, yeah, if they have only known we, this is what we are supposed to do, how we are supposed to carry ourselves. This is what, and it's also like, then they don't even realize that they can go outside of those lines or stretch them a little bit. Yeah. I, I am curious, you know, it, how that's being interpreted in a way, but Ebby's beautiful wife, Mashid, who I love, she was, when I met her, she was like, I've been trying to get girls in his band for so long, women in his band, because I think it's so important. Oh, that's great. And so not just for like in general, but again, for that culture. Exactly. She was like a real advocate of it. And then she just recently, I saw her, we were on a Persian New Year tour um, during spring equinox in the Middle East. And she was like, you don't know how many videos I get now from young girls showing me they can play percussion. And Uh. she's like, I think you have, you are responsible for that because now they're seeing you. And I'm like, Oh my God, really? Like that's happening. Wow. I feel honored. I feel really honored that they trusted me. That's amazing. Yeah. Since we're talking about young girls, you and Becky founded LA rock camp for girls. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. Rock and roll camp for girls, Los Angeles. What inspired you guys to do that? Like that's not something light. It takes a lot of work. It's a big, amazing thing that you're doing for the community, but that's also a lot of work. Totally. Thanks for acknowledging that. I think Becky and I volunteered for a rock and roll camp for girls in Portland. It was the first one of this kind. Oh, really? Like and the first of the, the rock first and roll one camp. of this movement, the sort and of social you- justice movement. And we went. We drove from LA to Portland, and. Raining Jane at that point, we had taken, 
we were slowing down our touring. It was like 2000 and no, no, sorry. We, we were still majorly on tour. This is 2005. This is like the center of our touring. And Becky and I went, we're like, Whoa, dude, this would be so dope in LA because there's so many girls and women playing music that could use a space to feel safe in and feel brave in. And, oh. And so we volunteered at the Portland camp a few years and then we were like, well, we're touring full time. Right. Cause I'm forgetting even I'm thinking for the kids cause you do it for kids, but it originally was for in Portland. What you were doing was for women. Oh no, no. It was okay. for kids. It was for kids. But they okay. also had a ladies rock camp program, okay. which was a, it was supposed to be like a fundraiser. Right. But I forgot about that part of it. But when you and Becky were thinking about it, you said this would be so great for people in LA. You were thinking of the kids or the women or both? No, we were thinking of both. Okay. Because also a big part of our programming is like our volunteer experience and the idea that we could have a place where women can come together and organize and be role models for the young girls. Yeah. So that's a part of our community service too, is like creating a space for women to get together. And we do have a ladies rock camp program, yeah. which we're hoping to bring back this fall, 2019. 19? Isn't that what year it is? Yeah. No, I thought you said 18. <laughs> and that sounds like something I would do. I would say the wrong year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Raining Jane, um, Chaska and my also are founding members. They're part of the first inaugural inaugural season of rock camp and we have a great planning committee we call them the executive team and now this is our 10th year of rock camp 10th year can you imagine it's our 10th year of rock camp that's amazing and so rock camp yeah is what a social justice nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering women and girls through music but what is it exactly it is a week. It's a week-long summer camp program. For girls ages. 8 to 17. 8 and 17. We're playing Mad Libs right now. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you get that. Uh, no, I was like, you were doing the broader, that's a very beautiful, powerful statement. But what is it exactly? Yes. <laughs> so, um, actually, summer camp is starting um, the last week of June. We have an all-day orientation for volunteers on the Sunday. And then Monday morning, the girls come. And in the morning time, they have instrument instruction. In the afternoons, they have band practice. And then at the end of the week, they perform an original song that they wrote with the band It's a, on it's Saturday. Amazing. Thank you. It's so cool. And so they, they each come in and they get to pick which instrument or sing. And you guys have even had like, not DJ or like... We used to have DJ. We haven't done that in okay. a while. But yeah, like... But it's vocals, bass, guitar, keys, drums... So they come in not knowing anything. Maybe have never touched. Sometimes maybe, yes. But some people, you can go even if you've never touched an instrument. Yeah. And we promise you that even if you come in as a total beginner, that by Saturday, you will be on stage at the Troubadour or wherever the venue is, and you're going to perform your original song with your band. And But yeah, so in the process, amazing. You're learning an instrument. You're, you form a band, writing a song. You have them make their own like shirts and merch. But through that, you guys are then also teaching right. what you're saying, what was part of the mission statement, that like empowering them in different And that's ways. through our workshops. Yeah. Our morning assembly. So we have a morning assembly where we kick off the day with yoga aerobics, with movement. We do, um, more, you know, like a thought of the day, which might be like, what does it mean to be compassionate? How can we show compassion today? And then we give examples of that. We have group agreements, which we all agree to, like, I'm going to 
give a shout out to everybody in my band today. And then we have artists come in and play lunchtime. So the girls see diverse women playing. It's really, I, I say this loosely, but it's like a how to be rad at life camp because Aww. I really believe when women come together to be their high, their best selves and, and be role models, like there's nothing like it. And then these girls, we don't even know what they're learning by watching us be yeah. women together. Yeah. It's like you're coming, you're going to learn an instrument, you're going to perform a song, but it's like so much it's more so much than more. that. Like that's fucking cool by itself to just be like, I don't know how to play anything. I don't know. You know, like I'm sure they're feeling so many different things and in insecure, whatever. And they leave with this whole new view, empowerment, friendships, community. And if they never see those people again, it's just like, I can't even imagine what they're taking away and how differently they must feel about themselves and what's possible totally. in their lives from that week. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. You just said it for me. <laughs> Anything else nice you want to say about it? Because you nailed it. <laughs> and then, yeah. So I. So then sometimes you also run the ladies rocket. Why are you laughing at me? You've been my friend for the whole 10 years. So you could speak to it more than I can. I didn't even realize that it had gone as long as I'd Isn't known dope, you. is though? Like 10 years, dude. Yeah, no, it's so amazing. And then the ladies rock camp is pretty epic too. So you're saying like you do it in sort of a way to raise money to be able to do the kids way. But I've it's which is major, but it's also like so many like, yeah, like right now, like I still don't know how to play any instruments again. So it's a fun way to be like, let me get this creative side of myself in a way that I'll feel supportive and I'm going to learn and bond. But then also like, yeah, like so exploring this creative part of yourself that you may have wanted to explore but then also like what you're learning about yourself. Like it's like, you know, it's like probably very similar for a seven-year-old and a 47-year-old, like how they come out of that weak feeling. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, and the the ladies camp is only three days. So we're doing yeah. an accelerated program, but I'm telling you the results are the same. Oh, From I'm Monday sure. to Saturday or Friday to Sunday, the transformation you're going to have, it's like, if somebody would say to you, write a song, go. But then we give you all the tools and the support you need to write the song. Yeah. And you have sisters with you and then you perform it and you're like, there's no feeling like it. Cause you're yeah. like, oh, if I can do that in three days, what else am I putting off that I could do in three days? But also, yeah, like that tools and support you're giving them for those three days to write a song are probably so applicable for so many different ways. And then that's also so much of getting out of their own way and being okay with being a beginner and all of that. Like these things that we so often fight in life. So we put off what we want to do or might feel good because of this discomfort and like just being in there with this team of people that is going into it together. So, and there are rock camps all around the country. We're connected. If they're part of the Girls Rock Camp Alliance, we're all under. Is there a way? Is there a website to find yeah. all of them? Yeah, Girls Rock Camp Alliance. GirlsRockCampAlliance.com. I don't know the website. Just probably search Girls Rock Camp Alliance, yeah, and, and you'll see. see those camps that are in the alliance all have the same mission statement, which is to empower girls through music education, so through social justice lens. So, at least you know you're going to get sort of the same mission. But every camp is unique. Yeah. Like there's an awesome camp that was started in San Diego. I was just about to say, and you can also, I, I feel, I'm guessing you would need to go to one first, but like that's also the people are able to create their own. That Mel Grove. Yeah. Who was inspired by you guys. 
and a friend of both of ours then ended up launching it in San Diego. Yeah, dude. And she's bringing that to her community, which is yeah. so cool. And she's so great at it. Yeah. So I'm so happy for her and for the community that is is touched by that. Awesome. Okay. I'm I'm going to bring up a question about myself. <laughs> do it, girl. What what do you call me and what did you say to me like when I was <gasps> on my way over here? I call you Sister Manifesta. Why do you call me that? Because since the very first time I met you, you were always dreaming big things and and bringing them to reality. And it has not stopped. Every time you're like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm leaning in now. For those of you who can't see us, I'm leaning in. She's starting to get very close I'm to I'm getting me. very close to you. Is this too close? No, it's great. Okay. Every time that you would vision something up, you would make, you'd make shit happen. And I was always like, Sista Manifesta. Because, and you're the only person I've ever, that is your name Thank to you. me. Because you do it. You do it and you do it well. And it's really inspiring to witness. Thank you. Where did you, like... So then if you're calling me Sister Manifesta, that must mean that you had some knowledge about manifestation? Yeah. And what did you, yeah, like, did you, have you learned about manifestation or did you just know that word and then played that in there? No, I just, I, I always would see things. I would sort of like see a future. I didn't always know what, how I was going to get there. But I knew like, oh, I'm going to be somehow I'm going to be a performer of some kind. And I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew that was the thing. So I would just sort of like see the vision and just do the work, put my head down and do work. I didn't know necessarily what it was. Exactly. No. And so I was bringing that up because I have, I can be touchy about some words and manifesting and manifestation is a word that's somewhat touchy for me. Oh, because. I'm sorry. No, no, apologize. (laughs) That's the name I gave. You have to tell me these things. I don't want to call you something that triggers you, dude. No, I love it. And I love, and I wanted to ask you, I of course like knew, (laughs) but not ever asked you. But what I wanted, yeah, it's just interesting to me because like, so I never really fully knew what manifest. I, of course, like Sister Manifesta, I understood like, okay, she's saying I do things that I want to do, you I guess. You vision and you put into action and then you achieve. Yeah. Which I do. Yes. And uh, last year, I was like working my way through some like doubts, fears, working through some levels. And I was like, manifestation has always been a big thing, but you know, cause social media, it's like so much more accessible. So, so many more people talking about how to manifest. I'm a manifesting coach. I'm this. So I'm like, look into what is, of course I know the idea of manifestation, but I start to look into it and like learn about it. And I was like, oh yeah. Okay. I get it. I have manifested many things in my life. But I still don't love that word because to me, it makes up, it feels like a magical, oh, I'm just going to manifest that. But like, as you just said, and how it applies to your own life. Yeah. So what I did was believed so strongly in what I wanted to happen that I did the work to make it happen. There you go. <laughs> and that, I think that really deep down, like, and that is the base level definition. I actually even looked it up, but I didn't look it up ahead of today, but months ago. Yeah. And it is, you know, like I just wanted to, I thought, why not bring that up? Because these days it can just seem like I'm going to manifest this house or I'm going to manifest this boyfriend. I'm going to, ma- I see these things all the time. Right. And that's great. And so the reminder there is that the biggest parts of manifestations are believing so strongly that it is possible and that also then taking action. 
You can't just sit around and say, I'm going to manifest this. I'm going to manifest this. That's a beautiful sentiment. And that is the first step in believing that it is possible for you. And so that means like diving through all the negative thoughts that hold us back. And also like, yeah, to show up and do the fucking work to whatever it is. If you're going to manifest that man, then you're sure explain what he's going to exactly look like and do and be, but then maybe get out in the world and meet some men, <laughs> like whatever, just like you need to put yourself out there and whatever it is in that place. Or also so. be that, per- be the person you're trying to, you're, a, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not with them. I just was throwing that out there because I did see, I have I see that recently of like, I'm manifesting this man. And that's a, it is a beautiful word. So I'm not saying like, don't use that word and I'm anti-manifesting. And I'm totally okay with you calling me Sister Manifesta. (laughs) Thank the Lord. Okay, thank the Lord. Because I was like, am I going to have to come up with a new name for you? It's not triggering. But yeah, in some ways I am like, well, what does that mean? Because I say I want to do something and then I do it? No, you do the work. (laughs) But also I think visioning is... Even having vision. Yeah. It's like being uh, allowing in, yourself to even dream. Being oh. dialed in enough to know that like there's something out there that you want to do. Yeah. Not everybody has that. This is and true. And I think that's okay. Yeah. I don't think you have to be a big visioner or a big have a be a visionary person to get things that you want in your life. But I think you have vision and yes. you have a vi- vision for your life. So I've always, since I've known you. As far as I can, yeah, I remember you calling me that for as far as I can remember. Day one, dude. Because you were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like get my yoga teaching and I'm going to do, you know. Well, yeah, because we met in the year that my father just passed away and I had moved. I was staying at Jason's house because I had left that tour and the you guys, the Janes were coming over to write in his studio. Yeah. And he wasn't there. Yeah. You were our host. Oh my God. And yes, I was getting trained to teach your yoga class. And I was like, can I like teach you guys some yoga? And I was terrible because I was like so nervous and following the blueprint instead of just like trusting what I wanted to do. That was the first time I ever like let anybody. But yeah, like I forgot. So yeah, I guess that is from day one. That's what I'm saying. Of manifesting. Like, oh, I was a monitor engineer and now I am learning how to cook raw and I'm a yoga teacher. And I was like, this bitch is cool. You know, so like from the moment one, you were already in transformation, already in vision. Yeah, I don't know if I was at that point, like, and I'm going to take these tools back on the road, but that's what it ended up. That wasn't at all the feeling I had from you. You were just a person that was like, oh, I'm also doing these things. It was like, oh, dude, that's dope. Yeah. Should we high five? Okay. Okay. All right. Can you reframe that? I want to high five. I would love to high five you in this moment. (laughs) Let's high five. Oh my gosh, cool. Just let's high five. Just high five me. Gosh, so much tension. That's a great way to end this. Um, we should do this again. Just kidding. We're going to do this again. I would again. love to Push do this again. <laughs> no, but we, but no, listen. Or not even I would love because that makes it separate. Like I am having so fun. Having so fun? I'm having so fun. I'm having so fun for oh. dinner. No, I. <laughs> We're on a sofa. Is that cool? <laughs> So fun is the name of my podcast. This is so fun. And it's on a pot it's on a couch. It's on I want to do it again if you want to. Cute. How about season two? <laughs> We're gonna bring back Mona and see how she's doing on the shoulds. Uh, right. Okay. I brought all my keychains for you and I asked you to pick one that resonated with you the most. What did you pick and why? I picked see the good. And why? I chose that one because. First of all, visually, I was very attracted to the two E's and the two O's. I'm not joking. I told you this. 
You told me you're attracted to it visually, but you didn't say why. Well, I'm looking at it again. And also the C and the the are on the same line. So it's like, see the good. Okay. Okay. I just, I love, I love that statement. All right. I truly, I feel like it's such a great reminder of just, I usually see the good, but I also feel like every time I look at it, I'm going to see the good. Remember to see the good. Yeah, girl. What is something like a go-to of yours to raise your joy levels if you're not feeling it, if you're doubting yourself, you're just tired, whatever it is. It can be anything. Everything makes you more. Nothing makes you less. That is my mantra. Everything makes you more. Nothing makes you less. Yeah. So you repeat that to yourself. I do, especially when vibrations are low. And I'm being triggered by negativity around me or bad attitudes. I'm such, I, I'm sure you relate to this. I can, I'm a sponge for vibe. And so when there's bad vibes around me, it's really easy for me to like try to not um, be it, but I, I just want to be sensitive to the environment. But then I have to just realize that I don't have to take that on and I can be I can just let this help me be more myself. And and nothing is going to make me even if I feel jealousy or feel frustrated when I see something or I feel competitive, it's like, oh no, this is good. These are good feelings to have. Mm-hmm. And it makes me more. It's okay. It makes me want to work harder. Yeah. And and get better at something as opposed to being jealous of that yeah. person. It doesn't make me less to know that there's somebody out there that's a better percussionist than me yeah, or has better curly hair. <laughs> it just, everything makes me more, nothing makes me less. And I don't have to go there, you know? Love all of that. Cool girl. Did you hear that from somewhere? You don't know. Not sure. Got channeled through you. Yeah. Um, okay. Something I wrote recently and I've been asking everybody is this phrase, what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Can you think of a place in your life to apply that? What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Can you give me an example? Yeah. Like a very easy one is like, what is easiest for me is to sleep in until my kids wake up. But I feel my best when I actually like wake up and like have some me time and stretch. Or like what's easiest for me is to stay home and do these interviews from home virtually. Oh. What's best for me is to do it in person because I thrive on the connection. Yeah, this is dope. Yeah. Like we've never had this kind of time. Yeah. With a big 1970s a microphone in front of our mouths. to like get deep with the people you love. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. You're great at it. Good Thanks. job. What's easiest for me is right when I wake up and turn off my alarm to get into my phone. Oh, yeah. That's easiest for me. Is um, your alarm on your phone? Yes. So what's best for me is... When I turn off my alarm, I've been having my journal next to the bed. Yeah. And I keep that sleep state. I'm, I try to maintain the sleep state, set my timer for five minutes, and I just do like what I call a heart dump. Love it. Instead of a brain dump. Yeah. Do a heart dump and just go, just go for five minutes. So good. And I don't read it. Yeah. Right you, away. I'm like, I don't even think you ever need to read that. But stuff. I do because do. I love my oh. cuckoo banana brain in that, in that like sleep state. I think there's yeah. a word for that. 
I don't know what yeah, it I don't, is. When that's in morning pages okay. is about like doing it in the morning. And I still, morning pages what got me to like really love journal and to do it. Yeah. But I regularly now do it in that morning state that she talks about in the book that you're talking about. Because it is sort of like you're not super conscious. So I like everything come out. But for me, it's always a great space to go to whenever I'm feeling something off in my body or I just know I have a lot going on, even if I'm still feeling good, that like just doing that dump. It's like you don't need to start new paragraphs. You don't need to write perfectly. You don't do whatever. Just like jumping from jumping from jumping. I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to talk to Trisha today. I just can't wait until Trisha comes over because I'm sure that's what you wrote about today. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> yeah. Let me go ahead and oh, photocopy shit. I forgot to buy groceries. Like just Tuts. totally jumping Tuts. around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love that. Is that the last? Yeah. Okay. So the working title that you love for this podcast is Claim It. Claim It, girl. And Claim It, comma, girl. You have to add the girl. Claim It, girl. Just kidding. I don't want to. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> claim It, girl. I don't want to only approach or be appealing to the people that resonate with the girl. Comma, girl. girl. Comma, girl. <laughs> Exclamation point also. <laughs> because. Yeah. I feel it's up to us to claim it for ourselves. Whatever it is, claim that vision, claim that dream, claim your worth, claim your logo on your MT box. What? Good memory. <laughs> claim your joy. So I am asking, what are you claiming for yourself today? Today? Yeah. Or in your life, whatever. Ooh. In this moment, moving forward. Yeah. Just like right now. I'm, what are you feeling you're claiming? Okay. I am claiming being a better drummer and percussionist and vocalist like you are claiming is that allowed am i allowed to do no, that? you're allowed i'm just clarifying that you're claiming that you i'm stepping into it because i'm doing more work around it like i i do i practice and i rehearse like you're acknowledging yourself i claim i claim because it was confusing with the i'm a better like is that claiming you're trying to get better you're claiming i am i'm doing the work or, oh gosh, can you delete this? No, it's good. Oh gosh, I'm so I'm only nervous bringing again. it down to help other people that might like. Oh, for no, those of you're you. You're claiming that you are a, an excelling. I want to be an expansion okay. with my, my skills set. So Got I'm it. doing, I'm going deeper into my, I'm like working. So meaning. that did make sense. You're claiming that you are working on becoming an even better. Yes. Even better. Thank you. I'll take that. Uh, I just want to be expand. I want to keep expanding because I love playing drums. I love being a percussionist. I love singing. And I know there's so much room for me to expand for my own enjoyment. Yeah. So that when I go back out on the road in a couple of weeks, that I feel like there's more for me to learn and share. Because once I stop learning new grooves or new neural pathways to play percussion or sing, then I'll always have the connection with the audience or my bandmates, but I want to feel like I can be an even more valuable band member or creator, you know? Love Thumbs it. Up. Thumbs up. Love it. I'm just going to ask, that was meant to be my final question, but I was oh. wondering like, what do you love most about, I was going to say playing music, but I'm going to say, what do you love most about being willing to have a colleague? cute. I love that. I always want to be, I want to celebrate. Yeah. I want to be in celebration. Yes. So I think that's one of my top um, five hobbies. Being in celebration? Yeah. Like <laughs> I legit, 
want to like pop open a bottle of sparkling water or bring over balloons or I like celebrating. I love it. That's great. And I think that's very valuable because people want to be celebrated even if they don't tell anybody or they want like deep down just like celebrate me, acknowledge me. Are you great about celebrating yourself and acknowledging yourself? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I think it takes that. Yeah. I think it like, I'm telling you when I put my head down and I'm like, you get it girl. Yeah. When I'm playing Cajon, I really, I, I'm rooting for my band members in the same way. And so yeah. I think it takes, like, I'm very comfortable with being like, you're doing great. Like, keep it going. Yes. And so then I can look at my band members and know I'm rooting for them in the same way. And I've always rooted for you too. I hope you feel it and know that. Thank and I'm you. so excited for this new journey for you. Podcast. Claim it. Claim it. Hashtag claim it, comma, girl, exclamation point. <laughs> think about it. Just think about it. Don't, you don't have to agree now. <sighs> Thank you. I love you. You are allowed. And please do continue calling me Sister Manifesta, even if that is a click no, extra now, just to be like, do you like it? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do it extra. Just only do it when you mean it. Because it does always, yes, even if I have a touchiness with that word, it makes me think, Mona sees what I am up to. Yeah. Because not a lot of people will see or acknowledge that. So it feels good to be seen. Thank you. You got it. I love you so much. <laughs> love you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love Mona so much. As you can tell, I'm sure. <laughs> you can find her on Instagram. She's Mona underscore Tavacoli. I'm at your joyologist. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it. Tag us. We so love hearing from you. I'm going to put full show notes at yourdrailsgist.com slash podcast. You get links so that you can find your local rock camp and more things about Mona and that we mentioned. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, review the podcast because that helps the podcast get seen. But also, I freaking love hearing from you guys. <laughs> And as a special thank you, if you screenshot me re your review, email it to yourjoyologist at yourjoyologist.com. Each week, I pick someone to send a box full of my affirmation-based products. You can go, of course, and shop them on your own. Pick a keychain, an affirmation deck, a mug, a journal, what have you. But hey, write me what you think about the podcast and perhaps you'll win a box for doing that. <laughs> so again, all things me, yourdrialogist.com, at yourdrialogist. And I'm going to leave you with the final thought, which again is always think about what you are claiming for yourself right here, right now. What are you claiming? I would love to know. You can always message me to tell me, and I will be cheering you on. All right. Claim it and make sure to own who you are fully because who you are is awesome.